I'd like us to pray together, shall we, just as we prepare our hearts to come around the word of the Lord here today. Lord, we're so thankful for each and every one of us. We're all precious in your sight. We're all different. You've made us unique. And yet all of us can partake of your presence and your glory here today. There's none that is excluded based on race, politics, gender. Lord, there's no one who is excluded on the basis of whether they're rich or poor. But you welcome all into your kingdom by faith. And God, as we come before your word here today, we just ask you just by your Holy Spirit, just to search our hearts and minds in the name of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, it's great again to come and share the word of the Lord with you. And today we're going to be looking at a passage of scripture from 1 John. That's right at the end of the Bible. So if you go right to the end of the Bible, you've got the book of Revelation and then 1 John is in that cluster just prior to the book. If you arrive at the maps, then you've gone too far. So you need to turn left. But anyway, we're right at the end of the Bible. Now, today's message, there will be notes sent out to everyone concerning what can be studied on Wednesday evening. So me and Christine have been looking at that. So there will be not only my notes, but also some other supplementary notes that Chris has also prepared. So there's going to be a real banquet of information and truth that will help us as we share together. So we're going to be talking about the whole theme of fellowship. Koinonia is the Greek word for that. Now the word itself is more than just a group of people together who enjoy one another's company. Koinonia carries with it the whole idea of a group of people who are together on a mission. They're called to a unity of faith and hope and love, but also a unity of purpose and a sense of togetherness, which means it's more than just a random collection of odd bods gathering under the same roof. It's actually a company of people who are together, anointed and appointed and commissioned to do the will of God. And the passage I wanted to draw your attention to here today is in 1 John chapter 1, reading from verse 5 through to verse 10. A very familiar passage, I'm sure, for most, if not all of you here today. But it talks about the heart of true fellowship and the root and the bedrock of belief and community. So this is what John wrote. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and the word is not in us. And John continues, talks about the advocacy ministry of Jesus as the one who is the propitiation for our sins. That word propitiation is a lovely word, it just rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? It simply means that Jesus on the cross bore in himself the due penalty and the wrath that was ours by nature, but he was our substitute, and God poured out upon him that which was destined for us. Thus fulfilling the law of righteousness and God's peace and justice were manifest at that point. 
But here we have a passage of scripture that focuses our attention very much on the whole theme of fellowship. But before we look at this word, I think it's helpful to have something of an understanding of the whole theme of this first epistle penned by John. It's not written in the way that Paul wrote his letters. It's more of a treaty, it's more of a a statement of fact, it's a revelation from God written in a unique way. John tying together so many different aspects of the simplicity of faith. But it is very much, in the opening three chapters, a message, a letter, an epistle, as it were, that exhorts the church. It is a word of exhortation. And the exhortation is all about walking in fellowship with God. And that also means that we walk in fellowship with one another. Now, you can't claim to have a relationship with your brother and have no relationship with God. Neither can you say, well, I have a great relationship with God. I pray, I fast, I go to church, I read my Bible, but I can't stand Christians. Then that doesn't work either. If you love God, then you love your brother. In fact, Jesus said that the whole of the Ten Commandments rest on those two principles. Love God and love your neighbour. That's why Paul often in his letters talked about faith in Christ and love for all the saints. The vertical and the horizontal are inseparably linked when it comes to the walk of faith. And it is a walk. And John uses different words in all of his epistles. He uses words like light, love, life. He's very direct and precise around the fact that if you've got to walk in love, you have to walk in light. And that brings liberty and joy. So John is very clear, he's very sort of, as James is, very precise. And he contrasts light and darkness, truth and error, very much that dualistic approach to theology whereby the word of the Lord is presented in a way that really sets the scene and he's very clear and precise. It's also within this wonderful epistle, it's a message of warning. And the warning is about false teaching. And during the time of John, as indeed throughout church history, there was an error known as Gnosticism. Now these Gnostics were those who had a certain view of creation. What they said was, is that everything that is spiritual is good, but everything that is physical is bad. Now you probably think, well, what's wrong with that? Well, there's a lot that's wrong with that because they then claimed that since Christ was good, he therefore could not have been manifest in the flesh because flesh is bad. That's why in chapter 1, in the opening few verses, John goes to great lengths to say, look, this word of life, that which we have seen and touched and heard, that which is physical and tangible and real. These false teachers were claiming that Jesus, although being the Son of God, was not manifest in the flesh. Why? Because Gnosticism teaches that flesh is bad. It's only spirit that is good. So Paul warns the church, and in chapter 4, he exhorts the church to test the spirits. Don't accept everything that you hear. Don't just let it go in and you assume that it's correct. Weigh what you hear. Not in a critical fashion, but rather, as the Bereans did when Paul came to town, they heard him, 
then went away to search the scriptures to see whether what Paul had said was true. And that is spiritual maturity. We need to go away and weigh what we hear. Every sermon, every message, don't just take it on board just because it's some big preacher from across the pond or some famous pastor in some part of the world. You have to weigh it, not in a judgmental or critical way, but simply to go before the Lord and say, God, what are you saying to me through this? What is the Holy Spirit saying through this message? But Paul warned us, and John takes up that baton, and he continues to exhort the church. He talks about the Antichrist. He talks about the fact that there were those who actually were part of the church, but went out from the church. But John says, in their going forth, it proved that they were never really a part of us to begin with. So there's loads of warnings in there. There's loads of issues around Subjects such as Antichrist, where John says an Antichrist is someone who denies that Jesus is the Son of God. He denies that Jesus came in the flesh. So there's so much more in there that needs to be looked at and studied. And then, finally, it's a message of comfort. In chapter 5, John finishes off by saying that, Who is it who overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Friends, that is the hope that we have today, isn't it? To overcome all things. Now you have to remember that the company of people who received this epistle were those who were going through difficult times. There was a crisis within the community of faith. There were those who were seen to be spiritual and yet turned out to be wolves in sheep's clothing. There were those who were part of the group but then left because they had all this strange de- Teaching, there were those who were causing division and upset within the congregation. And it was causing all sorts of difficulties within the church. So no wonder John reminds us that ultimately it is faith itself that overcomes the world. That's the great word of comfort, isn't it? That's the great hope that we have here today. That no matter what we're going through, no matter what challenges we face, by faith, we win. That's what the book of Revelation tells us. With all its complexities and all its different styles of writing, in essence, what John says right at the end of the Bible is that the kingdom of God wins. Hallelujah. The devil's defeated and Jesus is glorified. And that's the hope that we have. That's what we need to hang on to. So this is the message. So we are called to love the truth and we are called to live the truth. If you love it, you're going to live it. If you don't live it, then you don't love it. Whatever you believe shapes how you behave. And John begins by saying that this is the message we have heard. In fact, he uses that phrase on two occasions. The first occasion here is in 1 John 1 and verse 5. Again, I'll remind you of that passage where it says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him no darkness at all. But then he goes on in chapter 3 of 1 John and says in verse 11, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. So John is drawing from the dateless past. He's going back even to the law of God. Yes, the testimony of Jesus, but he's going right back to that point at which God spoke. So what I'm saying to you, John was saying, look, it's not new. 
It's that which had been spoken. It's not a new message, but I'm bringing it to you in the context of a now word. And sometimes we need to be reminded, don't we? We need to be challenged and reminded concerning what God has said. That's why Peter says in his epistle, I think the second one, he says, I will always remind you of these things. God reminds us not because we are forgetful, or sometimes we are, it's because we need to be continually brought before the word, continually reminded and challenged, even about the things that we think we're so familiar with. So as we just look at this passage here today, he's talking about walking in the light. And John begins this section by defining the true nature of God. It's always good to begin with God, isn't it? Not us. So much of today's ministry begins with you and me. And then God is sort of sucked into that and made to fit in to what we think. But actually the Bible begins with God, doesn't it? In the beginning, God. That's it. And this is what John is doing. He is reminding us of a truth that is foundational to everything upon which we believe rests God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Now just let that sort of penetrate this morning. What does it mean if God is light? Perfect, glorious, majestic, holy, righteous, true. God is light. Perfect purity, perfect in nature, perfect in ministry, perfect in character. He is absolutely light. He not only transmits light, but he is light. And that becomes the starting point for what John is saying. Because he then goes on to talk about the fact, since there is no darkness in him at all, if we, now here we have two little words that are repeated within this passage, if we, it's used on more occasion, talks about if we say we have fellowship with him, but if we walk in the light, if we say we have no sin, so it's conditional isn't it, it's if, so what John is saying here is if we say we have fellowship with him, which I'm sure all of us would say we do, if we say we have a relationship with the Lord, but at the same time we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. This is very, very clear. John doesn't mince his words, does he? In other words, if we claim to have fellowship with God but we walk in darkness, then we are deceived. Why? Because God is perfect light. So therefore, if we walk in darkness, we're not walking in light. We're not walking in him. We're not walking through him. He is not walking through us. Because only that which is aligned to God's perfect nature will carry the weight and the glory of the kingdom of God. So John does not mince his words. 
But he says, but if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another. So there we have, in a nutshell, unity. Where does division come out from? Well, it comes when we no longer walk in the light. It's when we harbour darkness, deception, pride, self-centeredness, unforgiveness, and all of this and more. These are the marks of darkness. But if we're walking with God, we're walking in the light, and the outworking of that is that we have fellowship, we have koinonia one with another. So what should be our goal? Is it to make sure that we're all on friendly terms with one another? Well, that's part of the process. But actually what God is saying is that we have to seek him. It all begins with him. We walk with God. And everything fits into place. If we don't have a relationship with the one who is perfect light, then how can we have relationship with one another? And if we're not walking with that which is perfect in light then darkness creeps in and we find ourselves compromised and ultimately deceived. So here we have three responses that John gives us, potentially. It's all about the if we. So it's conditional, isn't it? If we do this. So God brings us to a place of responsibility, doesn't he? And he says, look, it's a call, it's a command, but... B-U-T, blessed undeniable truth, if we, so the baton is placed into our hand, are you, if we. So what are some of the responses that John warns us about? He says, first of all, we can cover our sins. What is sin? Well, it's lawlessness. Anything that contradicts God's will and purpose is sin. Everything that violates his divine nature and will is sin. Everything that's a view that's not born of God is sin. Everything that is not a faith is sin. So there are two kinds of sin. There are sins of commission, which is all about the bad things that you do. And there are the sins of omission, which are the good things that we don't do. And both are sinful. We tend to focus very often on the things that we do that are wrong actions, words, deeds. But actually sin can be seen in not so much the bad things that we do, but rather the good things that we don't do. When God calls us to help and to serve one another, to resist that and refuse it is as much a sin as a wrong action, thought, word or deed. But John says, look... If we say we are without sin, we deceive ourselves. So the denial of sin is a deception. We're calling God a liar. But what is remarkable is that John not so much contradicts himself elsewhere in this letter, but he actually says, well, if we're born of God, we don't sin. (laughs) But if we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father. So John is saying, on the one hand, well, if you're born of God, you don't sin. But then if you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father. And if you say you are without sin, then you deceive yourself. So is Paul contradicting himself? Is John contradicting himself? Well, the answer is very clear, I think. That when you are born of God, you are born of the righteousness of the Holy Spirit. You are born into Christ's image and likeness. 
Your nature is transformed. So it does not yield in and of itself to sin. It's the flesh, the carnal part, the unrenewed mind that bows its need to sin. But John is setting the bar very high, but giving us a helping hand. He's saying, look, if you're born of God, you don't sin. But if you do, you have someone as an advocate who pleads your case, Jesus Christ the righteous. But if we say we are without sin, then we are deceived. Part of the ministry of the Spirit, as we learn of in John's Gospel, is that he comes into the world to convict the world of sin, righteousness and judgment. Conviction is the work of the Spirit, not condemnation. Conviction, making us aware of the truth of who God is, our standing before him, and our need of salvation. One of the things that really stands out when you read the history of revivals is that conviction of sin was at the heart very often of men's and women's responses to the gospel. They became overwhelmed by their sense and their need of God and their need of cleansing. Sin is not a popular subject today within the church because we don't want to offend people, we don't want to tread on people's toes. But at the end of the day, unless we come to a place of conviction of sin and repentance before God, how can we be saved? But it's the work of the Spirit. It's a good thing when the Spirit of the Lord awakens something in our own hearts called conviction. It's a good thing, it means that God's still with you. The day that God stops convicting you is a day you need to worry. Because as long as the Spirit of the Lord is working, then God's grace is still at work and we can be transformed. Let's be open. That's why when we come before the table of the Lord, it says that a man or a woman, first of all, examine themselves to allow the Spirit of the Lord to work in their hearts. But John warns us, if we claim to be without sin, then we deceive ourselves. We need to be open and honest before the Lord. We need to be vulnerable before him and transparent and say, Lord, if there's anything in my life that you need to deal with, then please bring it to my attention. If there's anything that you've called me to do that I've not done, i.e. sin of omission, then please bring it to my attention. Is there a ministry that you've called me to do, but I'm reluctant? Well, it's all about conviction. And we need to come before the Lord continually to say, Lord, just have your way in our hearts. So the road of deception is the road of denial. We can cover our sins. Turn a blind eye. But as the Bible says, behold, our sins will find us out. And that's the sobering thing, isn't it? Sooner or later. But God is gracious. God is holy. God is true. He wants to perfect that which is in us. He wants us to grow in the image and the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. He doesn't want to harm us. He wants to help us. Let us be a people who are in tune with him. But secondly, and this is where John moves along, he says, you can also, and this is the second response, we can confess our sins. Confession brings cleansing from sin. But it says here, that if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not just bits of righteousness, 
we don't lay hold of a bit of grace. He says, we are cleansed from everything that is unrighteous. This is the power of the blood of Jesus. This is the truth of the cross. That if we confess, then he is faithful to cleanse. And we need to hear this this morning. Because I know that very often Christians can struggle with this. Especially when they come maybe from a difficult background. They come to the Lord and they think, well, God can't forgive me. What I've done is too heinous. It's wrong. God can't forgive me. I can't even forgive myself. But let the blood of Jesus be the final word. The word of the Lord says, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. How much is all? All. Okay, let's not argue with the Bible here today. If God says that as you confess your sins, you are cleansed and all of your sins are dealt with, it means everything. The big ones, the little ones, everything in between, sins of commission, the bad things that you've done, or the sins of omission, which are the good things that you've not done, all is cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. It talks about the fact that Jesus is our advocate, the propitiation of our sins. There's that lovely word again. He carries in himself and bore on the cross the full weight of the wrath and the penalty of our sins. Whereby in his death and resurrection, he took our part. He was our scapegoat. He was there when we should have been there. And the price that he paid was the price that you should pay. But God, in his lavish and in his rich mercy, he made you alive. Christ bore your penalty for sin. And by faith in him, you then enjoy his righteousness. A gift not earned, but a gift that is given. When we confess our sins. What does that mean? Does it mean that every day we sit down with a notebook and a pen and we just write out all the wrong things that we've done or maybe the good things that we've not done? Well, it may involve that, but I think it's all about walking in the light. Because when you walk in the light, conviction is what we find as a gift. When we walk with God, even the smallest of things, we become aware of and we know instinctively by the conviction power of God, which is the work of the Holy Spirit in your conscience, because it's the blood of Christ that cleanses your conscience from acts that lead to death. So it is the conscience that discerns between good and evil. So every time you do things which are wrong, then the conscience alerts you to that because it has been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. And the Spirit of the Lord works through all of that. As we walk in the light... Then we walk in love, we walk in liberty, and we walk in life as we confess our sins. Let us not be delayed in coming to the altar. Let us not be delayed in coming to the mercy seat. Let us not withhold that call of grace. Let us not resist God's calling to come to that mercy seat to receive the grace and the help that we need. In our time when we need it the most. We can confess our sins. And we must. 
If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse us from all that is unrighteous. So you're made whole. Hallelujah. It's the devil that wants to remind you of all the things that you've done that you shouldn't have done. And the devil just relishes an opportunity to not only remind you of the stuff that you've done that you shouldn't have done, but also to accuse you that there's nothing in heaven on earth that can excuse that or cleanse you from. That's why in the book of Revelation he's called the accuser of the brethren. He loves to accuse. But there's no basis of truth in anything that the devil says. He is the father of lies. So anything that the devil says is a lie. We need to see this. But walking in the light of God's presence means that we walk in the light of the truth of God's word. So we have to be a people of the Bible who know the word, who understand the word, who not only study the Bible or read the Bible, we need to be a people who actually put the Bible into practice. Amen. Let's move on. This is the third part of one of the responses. And it is indeed the most important response, having confessed our sins. We can then conquer our sins. Hallelujah. We don't have to be subject to sin and darkness. We are delivered from this. But we need to be reminded of the fact that if we don't conquer our sins, our sins will conquer us. That's why it's very much a if we. John is saying to the believer, look, you have a responsibility here. God's not going to do your confession for you. He will do the cleansing, but it's up to you to come before him to say, Lord, I need your help. I need your strength. I don't get it always right. Sometimes I blow it. Sometimes I make mistakes. But hey, this promise around the fact that the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin means that if God has seen fit to remember your sins no more, he chooses not to remember, which is beyond forgetting, because you can forget something, but it's still in the back of your mind, and suddenly it comes back. But actually, he chooses not to remember. It's a choice. I'm not going to hold it against you anymore. You are free. So if God in his wisdom and in his mercy, chooses not to forget, then who do we think we are? Are we bigger than God? If we choose to hang on, maybe to things that we've done, or maybe things that people have done against us. Because to the same measure that God has forgiven you, he's also forgiven that other person. And very often there can be offence within churches whereby someone has offended someone, there's been a clash of personality, God's forgiven the one person who maybe started the problem, but then the victim is still carrying the wound and running around like a bear with a sore head. Let's approach God as our Heavenly Father, the God of light. We can conquer our sins. Hallelujah. That's good news, isn't it? So here today, we're all forgiven. We're all cleansed. We're all righteous. We don't always get it right. And thank God that when we do make mistakes, there is someone in heaven who is our legal attorney, as it were, our advocate, pleading our case in the law court of heaven and says, look, 
this person has confessed their sins. All charges are dropped. No guilt, no condemnation. Hallelujah. We can conquer our sins. And we need a revelation of the truth of that. What it means to walk in liberty. We must not carry the guilt and the pain of that which God has chosen to forget. Are we smarter than God? Do we know better than him? If the God of the universe has chosen, I will remember your sins no more. Hallelujah. Let's walk in that. Let's rejoice in that. Okay, sometimes there are consequences, like with Adam in the garden. God forgave Adam and Eve, but still kicked him out. So forgiveness will deal with the condemnation of sin, but not necessarily its consequences. So sometimes we have to work that through. If you go out with a gun and you shoot someone, and sadly you kill them, God can forgive you for that. But it's a crime nonetheless, and the justice system will put you behind bars. That's the consequence. So we need to see that just because we are forgiven, that doesn't mean to say that, oh, it doesn't matter, I don't need to make restoration of relationship, I don't need to reach out to that person, I don't need to ask for forgiveness, I can just walk away. Sometimes the power of love and the power of light means that God empowers us to go and to make reconciliation. Amen? Amen. So we have a choice. The three choices we have today. One's bad and the other are two. And they're very good. We can either cover our sins or, and this is where it gets good, we can confess our sins and we can conquer our sins. That's the hope that we have today. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's just pray together, shall we? Father, how great the love of God is that has been lavished upon us that we can be called children of God. Not born of the flesh, but born of the Spirit. And I just want to pray, Lord, for every single person in this place here this morning, that you would just draw us unto yourself. We've all been on a journey. We're all still on a journey, and we don't always get it right. You may have made mistakes last week. You might even make a few in this coming week. But let us walk in the light of God. Let's walk in grace. Let's walk in truth. Let's walk in hope. Knowing that if we do make mistakes, which we will, we have a big brother called Jesus who's there, our advocate, through whose blood we are cleansed from every single issue that defiles us. So, Lord, we thank you. Praise you, O God, for your word. Bless these dear people in Jesus' name. And everyone said together, Amen. Amen.